Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to uh, Mark's Gospel, this biography of Jesus we've been looking at for a number of weeks, uh, where Mark draws together... uh, pieces, little snippets of Jesus' life, snapshots to give us uh, the accurate understanding of who Jesus is, uh, drawing from the, the larger uh, data, the, the larger experience he'd had with Jesus. Certainly, there were far more, and even the gospel, you know, Luke's gospel goes into, into some of this, t- uh, telling us that, there, that if we were to write down all of the stories, that, you know, we, we, the, all the volumes of earth could not contain what knowledge we have of Jesus. So Mark is drawing upon uh, pieces, putting together the pictures in his biography that display who Jesus is and the accuracy, the, the, the poignancy of what he means in our lives. And that's what we're looking at, this next uh, uh, snapshot, as it were, starting in um, Mark 8, uh, starting at verse 31. Nope. Nope. What did I say? 27? Is that what's in the bulletin? Then it's 27. But I did make a mistake. We're gonna jump. We're gonna read all to, to verse one in chapter nine, because that's where the, the little the little section ends. So, starting at verse twenty-seven. Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, "Who do people say that I am?" They replied, "Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets." But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for, the go- and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." And he said this to them, I tell you the truth, some of you are standing here, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and for the hope that you give us in Christ. We thank you for the work that he's accomplished uh, for us that, uh, that ha- has given us a pathway to receive your grace rather than attempt to achieve it in some fashion. I pray that you would 
sink deep into our, into our lives and into, our, into the DNA of the way we live and operate this truth. And that, Lord, that your forgiveness and the justification you give us by the work of Christ would, would fill us with joy and power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, a bunch of years ago, I had gone to a, um, a Bible conference of sorts, a, a sort of a study conference for, um, um, uh, for the gospel and how, how the grace of God works in our lives. It's a very sort of transformative uh, conference down in, down in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. And it was very, there were hundreds of people there, and I had been to this conference a bunch of times over the years, so much so that the speakers, I knew, I mean, at this particular version, I knew most of the speakers, uh, you know, and I knew, the, I knew the MC, and I knew the pastor of the church where we were, and, and there's a certain sense where I kind of felt like an insider, you know, when you go to something like that, you feel, and sort of, I wasn't the speaker, but I knew the speakers, and so you sort of feel a certain way about that. I don't know if you've, if you've ever been in situations where you're sort of um, in the shadow of greatness, as it were, and everybody's sort of excited about the speakers, and, and I wasn't one of them, but I was sort of, I knew them on a first-name basis, and I'm rubbing shoulders with them, and, and I'd been, uh, and, and, and so the conference was, was a, just about a week long, and, and we had two or three sessions a day, and at each of the sessions, we'd, we'd have a worship time, you know, with singing. And then, and then right before the speaker would speak, the MC, the, the, the person running it, would, would um, call someone up from the audience, from the, from the people there, not call, not call them up, but sort of, yeah, maybe we'd call them up. He would call them up to the front, and then they would pray for the speaker right before he would speak, like right at the moment. It was a very kind of personal and very engaging moment. And so I had been speaking with uh, a, a group of us after, during one of the breaks. I had been speaking with a group of the speakers and with, with the MC. And we're chatting it up. We go back down and we sit uh, and we do the worship time. And then the guy comes up to speak or the, 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 to speak. And then the MC begins to introduce the, 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 the person that he's going to call up. And he starts talking about, I've known this person for so many years, and, and I just was talking with him just, re, you know, as we were during the break, and, and, um, and, and I'm inching closer to the edge of my seat because it sounds like he's talking about me. And he's going to call me up, and I'm kind of, this is, this is great. I get to be one of the insider people, and they'll, everybody will get to know me. And, and, and in, it, you know, so I've known him for a bunch of years, and I've seen him, and he's in his ministry really well, and he's really got a grasp of this sort of thing. And I like to introduce, and he turns, and he says, I'd like to introduce Jim, blah, 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 blah. And he gets up. I mean, it was almost to the point where I'm, like, I'm taking the weight off of my butt to get up. And, Yeah. And I, uh, I shared that story with a couple of people who we took from the church here. It was, it's mildly embarrassing. Um, it's kind of like when you're in a when you're in a when you're in a in a mall or in a you're in, in a setting and someone ahead of you that you, maybe you 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 can't quite recognize it's a little further off, but then they they do one of these, and then you go, and then you do this, and it's the person behind them. Yeah, I've had that happen a bunch of times. They're waving at me. That person, I know that person. Oh, wait, no, it was them. Okay. Um, that's, there's a little bit of that. There's a little, the reason I tell you that story um, is because uh, when you hear yourself, when you see yourself, when you think what's happening is about you, 
It proves how self-absorbed you are. When, when you, when, uh, in those situations, I was so caught up in wanting to be the center of that conference world, not, not, not in an overt way. Nobody, I wasn't overtly trying to be the center of attention. Um, I, I wasn't uh, trying to create any drama, but it would have been nice to be, to be recognized, to be noticed, to be understood, to be acknowledged. We all want that. When someone waves... You know, someone that is in power, someone that's attractive, someone that's in the know, and they wave at you. you it, it's nice that you, th- that you think it's you. It's nice to... B- and there's a sense where when that's the condition of my heart, when, when, we're, when, we, when we become so sort of tightly wound about ourselves... Everything in life, we interpret everything in life through that lens, through that filter of what, what is this saying about me? Am, am I at the center? And there's a sense where, and we're going to get to it, you're going to have to wait a minute before we get to it, where, where this passage is getting at some of the dangers of that. Jesus in this, in this passage um, through the conversation he has with his disciples, through the, these interactions. It's a, it, this particular passage in Mark is a critical transition because uh, up until this passage, um, everything that Mark's been showing us has been, he's been giving us incidents in the life of Christ where the, where the culture and the experiences that he's been having are, who is this guy? Who's, what's going on? Who is this about? Who is this Jesus? And then we find out in Mark 8, 27 and following, who he is. And in this particular experience with his disciples, he's, he's telling them, uh, number one, how, how faith works. He's telling them, number two, how saving the world works. And... Third, he's telling them what results as a what happens as a result of those things. What happens as a result of how faith works, and what happens as a result of how saving the world works. If you follow along with what I'm saying, in this section, Jesus is Jesus starts the conversation by saying, "What's the word on the street about me? What's the conversation? What's happening? What are people saying about me? What is what is what are people getting? What are they not getting? What are they what are you hearing about me? And the disciples go, "Well, here's what's happening. Here, here's what they think. They think some of you think some of them think you're John the Baptist. Some of them think you're Elijah or one of the prophets. All good things. But they weren't getting the real essence of it. And then Jesus comes down to comes down to what he was after. He wasn't so much after, he wasn't, he wasn't really committed to the idea of what people think, think about him. He wasn't, he wasn't sort of self-absorbed to understand what, or to, or to be so concerned about what, you know, what are people thinking about me? He, he really was trying to get at this question. He, the first question was in service to the second question, and the second question was, what do you think? What do you think? Because that's the essence of faith. Faith isn't so much, give me the right answer. Faith isn't, let's talk about all the options. 
Faith, faith isn't, uh, and when, when it comes to Christ, it's not so much what does everybody else think about Jesus, or here's some nice intellectual facts, or here's what, here's the, here's what the data suggests about Jesus. Here's the, here's the information we know about him, but what do you believe? What do you believe? What have you sunk your heart and life into? What is it that you're willing to commit and put your weight on? And Peter says, presumably some of the other gospels in this instance, tell, some of the other biographies tell us that he was answering for the 12. He was speaking for the 12, um, as it were, saying, Although, you know, you think about that for a minute, and you go, he was, he was speaking for the 12, but we find out in the end, he wasn't speaking for all of them. Because one of them never got it. But acted like he got it, presumably. Shook his head. Yeah. You know, was there, in the, was there when Jesus was asking the questions? Was there when Jesus was doing the miracles? Was there? And you forget about him. You forget about, you forget about Judas all the way along. And he takes a, he, his, his role, his, his unbelief, his, his not getting it comes to fruition at the, in the last week of Jesus. We, you know, the, the, the biographers, you know, the, the, the gospel writers make it very clear that in the end, all the stuff we've been talking about, he never really got. But here, here, G, here Peter is answering for the 12, presumably, or for the 11. Here's what we believe. We believe what we're, what we're willing to put the, our weight on is that you're the Christ. Now, Christ was a, Christ, the, to use the word Christ was an, because uh, in, in, the, in the language of the day, Christ meant the anointed one. It meant uh, the Messiah. It, it was a Greek reference to the, to the Messiah, that you are the chosen one of God. You know, John's gospel says, you are the Christ. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of life and of hope. We, we are willing to, we have no other options but you. Thing is, though, in the day and age when Peter would have said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the chosen one, he would have been thinking the, 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 the idea of the day was that a Messiah would come, a Savior, a, a, a ruler, a, an anointed one would come and make all things right in a human contextual experience. Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and would release us from Roman rule, would change our situation, would bring Israel back to its, to its status in the world, and, uh, and all would be well. It would be a human, physical kingdom. And when Peter is saying, you are the Christ, what he's saying is, you're the guy that's going to lead the insurrection. You're the guy that's going to be the, the, the that's going to be the true king. You're the guy that's going to bring us back to power in this world. That's what Peter is actually saying. And indeed, there is a part of what the, that confession that is accurate. But even Peter didn't understand completely who Jesus was. Even the disciples didn't understand everything that he was. But th what they understood about him, they were willing to surrender to. They were willing to make decisions based on that truth. That's, what, that's ultimately what faith is, is that, is that I believe something. The difference, between, the difference between 
faith and not faith, you know, uh, the book of James gets into this. He said, F- James says, show me your, your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. What he's saying is that true faith is functional. Faith operates. It isn't just intellectual. It's not just something I talk about. It's not just something that I sort of say that I believe in. It's not something that I whimsically, you know, sort of have as a, as a drama going on in my head. But faith Faith, if it's, if it's actual, faith, if it's real in a person's life and in a heart, is something that I'm willing to, to make decisions with as it relates to my life. That's what it means to surrender to, to the work of Jesus. To trust in him means to put my faith in him, to believe that he's the Messiah, to believe that he's the Christ means that I'm making choices based on that knowledge, based on that idea that I'm surrendering to that. That's how faith works. Even though your knowledge of who he is is incomplete. You've heard me use this illustration before, is that when I asked Becky to marry me, I didn't know everything about her. I know I'd, only real, I'd only really known her for a couple of years. I certainly don't know her. I didn't know her then as well as I know her now. And the crazy thing is, is that if... Is that is that if knowing everything I know about her now, I'd still done it. I'd still asked her to marry me on our good days. But the, but what I mean what I mean is is that the, when I when I asked Becky to marry me, and when she said yes to marrying me back and to starting this life together, what we were saying was. I know something about you, I know you, I've experienced you, and I trust you, and I believe in what, what we are and what we can, and I'm, and I'm willing to make a decision of my life based on that limited knowledge. That's faith. That's trust. That's the essence of, of a, that's, and that's the essence of a human relationship. And that's the same thing, that's what Jesus, Jesus is saying to Peter. That's, what, that's the essence of what faith is. It's what do you say? What are you willing to put your weight on? What are you willing to surrender your life to? What, what is it about me? Are you willing, do you know enough about me to be willing to say, I am going to take the weight off of me and off of my understanding of things and put it on you? That's the essence of faith. So Jesus begins to expand their knowledge. He says, okay, well, here's, you you call me the Christ. Wonderful. You think you know what that means. That's great. Now, I'm I'm giving you a little paraphrase here in the mind of Jesus. Because then the Mark says, then he went on to teach us some stuff. Starts blowing our minds. He says he began to expand their understanding. What does it say? It says uh, that began that that he must suffer, must be rejected, must die, and then come back. He's, he's telling them how the world is, how to save the world. Here's how to save the world. To be rejected, to suffer, to die. That's how we save the world. And Peter, Peter, this is, the extreme, this is the extremes of faith. This is, the, this is how hubris works. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Peter says, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what they say that I am. Who do you say? I'll tell you what we say. 
Peter jumps out. He, he, he leaps before he looks every chance. Im, Im, impulsive Peter. But in the first, when he asks, who do you say that I am? There's a sense where, okay, got that, got that answer right. You're the Christ, son of the living God, in whom there is life and hope. Whom else do we go? Who, whom else do we have? And then, it, and then Jesus starts talking about this plan of suffering, this, this method of saving the world. And Peter, again, jumps out impulsively and says, Jesus, come here. That's not the way to save the world. What Peter heard was the way to save the world uh, is through weakness, through suffering, through death, through surrender. And, G- and, and what Peter's, that, that's what he heard Jesus saying. And what Peter's understanding of how to save the world, the way you save the world in Peter's eyes, in, in Peter's understanding, and I'm going to say in anybody's understanding, is the way to save the world is through power, through control, through order, through strength. That's how we save the world. How do you save the world? You, you get more power than everybody else, and then you save it. You save it through strength. You save it through ability. You save it through... And Jesus is going, that's not how you save the world. The way you save the world is through death. As a matter of fact, he doesn't say, that's how I will, will save the world, or that's how that I, that the Son of Man will suffer in these ways. It's not, it's, he, he didn't say, that's how the, the Son of Man would suffer in these ways. He said, if you, if you think of, as you see the words that he said in verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer, must. It can't be that he will and would, it's that he must. There's no, if Without the suffering, there can be no salvation. Somebody has to pay the debt. Somebody has to bear the cost. Salvation is not free. Salvation, uh, that to correct the problems, to, to, to overcome and to restore the brokenness that, that, that humanity and that the world is in, does not come does not come at a, at, at a small price. It comes at a great cost. And without that debt being paid, there can be no salvation. Without there being some sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Noah and I were talking about this week in terms of, in terms of uh, his exploring these ideas with, with youth in our community, with, with students in our community, and how... And how helping, the, helping students to understand the necessity of the death of Jesus. If, if after church, several, several of you are standing out on the street talking, as I hope you do, and enjoying the community and each other together, and you're standing on the sidewalk outside the church, wonderful day, and as, the, and as you're talking, I, I come I come running out of the door. At the same time, you can see a semi-tractor coming down Carlisle Street. And as I come running out of the door, I run into the street and in front of the, of the tractor that is about to approach, and I go, I love you all. And the tractor... What do you think of that? 
Is it loving? Well, yeah, maybe it's loving. I mean, certainly it's certainly a depiction. Give up my life for my friends. You're all my friends. I love you all. More than likely, you think it's crazy. And you wonder, what the heck was that about? He could have just said he loved us. I believed him. He didn't have to, what's the, why is he throwing himself in front of a tractor trailer? But, if one of you were in the street at the time, and the tractor trailer is barreling down and you don't see it, and I come running out, and as I push you out of the way, I tell you I love you as the tractor trailer takes my life rather than yours, now what do we have? The tractor trailer, the, the impending debt, the, the, the condemnation of God's punishment for sin, each of us is standing in the way of that unless someone gets in the way of it for us. That's why Jesus said there's only two ways this situation ends. Either you are overcome by the payment of sin and you pay the debt or I pay the debt. If you pay the debt, there's nothing left. If I pay the debt, you are set free. You are made righteous. You are given hope. I must suffer. This is the only way to save the world, through death. You can't power your way out of this. That's how bad the situation is. You can't power your way out of this. You, you, you suffer your way out of this. You die your way out of this. Uh, that's how we save the world, through death. But it's, and I'm going to say it's either, but the story is better than that. Because this is the part of the sermon I don't like to talk about. This is the part of the sermon where... <laughs> where it starts, to, it starts to pinch a little bit because what Jesus says, unless not, I'm going to live the life of suffering, this is what the Son of Man has to do, and that's blowing their minds to begin with. And Peter's going, Jesus, let me pull you aside. Let me tell you how to save the world. This isn't how to save the world, and you dying. This, <laughs> he said, and Jesus was very clear about it. Jesus was very upfront. And Peter's, and Peter's going, this isn't how we save the world, Jesus. You're not going to have to die. And Jesus says, Satan... I've seen, I've, I've been here before, Satan. And where he was there before was in the desert for 40 days. And the three temptations we know that Jesus received, John's gospel tells us, make bread for yourself, Jesus. You're hungry? Turn this into bread. You can do it. Do it. Use your power. Save yourself. Provide for your own needs. Do your own thing. What Satan was tempting into was self-reliance, self-power to save his situation. Cast yourself off the, temp the pinnacle of the temple and, and, and cry out to your angels to come save you. Self-reliance. Satan brings him to the, 
top of the world and says, all this I'll give you if you'll simply bow down to me and worship me. The temptation at that moment was, I can give you all of this, which he was going to get anyway. That God said, I will make every nation a footstool for your feet. I will bring, I will, if you do what I ask you to do, if you go to the cross, if you bear the sins of my people, if you become the sacrifice for their sins, I will give you, I will, I will give you all of heaven and earth. And Satan says, well, I'll give you all heaven and earth, and you don't have to go to the cross. Just bow down to me. Just worship me. And I'll give you everything you were going to get anyway. Just take a different path. And Peter's saying the same thing to Jesus. I know you want to save the world, Jesus, but don't take, don't take the path of suffering. Take the path of greatness. Take the path of power. Don't take the path of death. And then Jesus says, that's, if that's blowing your mind, what I'm about to say is going to blow your mind even more because here's the thing. Not only am I going to endure the cross for you, but now if you're going to follow me, it's going to be the life of a cross for you because the way I'm saving the world, the way the way I'm saving the world is by saving, by being the cross for you so that you can be the cross for the world. One by one. Death of yourself. Denying your own desires. Denying your own will. Denying your own preferences and privileges dreams and hopes and aspirations, denying them, surrendering them. And it's not so much denying them as if they're not valuable, as if they're not important, as if they're not meaningful. It means when Jesus says deny them, what he means is that, I am, that I'm willing to take my weight off of having to have them in favor of having you. And it's as if I'm placing all of my dreams, hopes, and desires into your hands and saying, do with them as you wish. Do with them as you wish. I'm happy to have you. It's, a, it's very much like getting married. Because there's a sense where I'm going, when, when I ask Becky to marry me, it's like, I don't care what happens. I'm just happy to have you. I don't care. I mean, we could live. We could live. We could. We could be rich and and vacationing homes, or we could have. You know, that wasn't really a possibility. But the, but we could be poor as paupers. We could have. We could have nothing. But I'd rather have nothing with you than everything without you. And that's what faith in Christ is. That's what denying ourselves. Take up your cross and follow me. What does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, let yet lose what I'm offering you, let yet lose the relationship and the person that I can be for you? You have the whole world, or you have me and the whole world, because I own it all. 
and those dreams and hopes that you have, that you've been mulling over your entire life, that you've been crafting, that you, the scenarios that you've been developing, the dreams and hopes, the ideas, the scenarios about the future of your world that you've been mulling over, you think you've crafted them perfectly? Let me tell you, I've been mulling over your life. I've been crafting your hopes and dreams. I've been, I've been molding and shaping in my own mind what I want to give you. And you don't even know the half of it. Do you trust me to, to deny your self-reliance? We are so addicted to self-sufficiency. That's the essence of what sin is. From way back in the Garden of Eden, way back in the Garden of Eden, when it all began, that was the essence of the problem. The essence of the problem was Satan says, you know, God's holding out on you. You can really have more. Did he really say that if you eat it, you'll die? Because he knows that if you eat this tree, you're going to be like him. You're going to have something more than just being, being the image of him, being, being a follower of God. You'll be a God. Wouldn't that be great? And all you have to do is eat this fruit. That's it. Follow the path of self-reliance. Follow the path of self-sufficiency. Follow the path of strength, of ability. Take and eat this fruit. It's right here. It's easy, and you'll get more than God's offering you. And we've been on that path of self-sufficiency from the, from the very day on. Every time you and I break God's design, every time you and I fall and fail to live according to God's hopeful plan for our lives, it's because we are relying on ourselves, because we are trying to find a sufficiency in our own abilities, because we fail to follow the path of weakness, but follow the path of strength. Paul says, in my weakness, I am made strong. In my weakness, he is more evident that by virtue of denying myself, denying, denying my abilities, deny, you know, and, and it's not so much denying that I have abilities, it's just the, the word deny is a way of saying, I'm taking the weight off of that and putting it on what he is going to accomplish. I'm taking the weight off of my strength plan and putting it on the weakness plan. The suffering plan, the willingness to die plan, knowing that he says, out of that, I will give you an abundant life because what you are most addicted to right now, what is trapping you, what is imprisoning you, what is, what is a burden, a millstone around your neck, the thing that is driving you to strain, that is driving you to dread, the, the thing, the, the part in your life that is causing you the most dismay and darkness and the thoughts that linger and that oppress you is you. The centrality of you. That's what it is. It's not, it's not the world. It's not the burdens. It's not the oppression. It's, the, it's you. <laughs> it's me. 
mountain spiraling around me. Makes me dizzy. Makes me disoriented. Drunk on me. That's the prison I'm in. That's the prison you're in. If you could be free from you, what could, what could happen? What kind of world could this be? What kind of life could you live? What kind of amazing experience could, 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 could happen in your life? Being free from yourself. That's what the cross is trying to accomplish. That's what Jesus has come to do to free you from the, from the evil taskmaster of, in your life is you. And the white-knuckled grip you have on your plan for you. Loosen your grip. Surrender, deny to him. Give it to him and let him build something for you that you can never imagine Growth in that situation? What does it look like to grow if I surrender myself? It means that you're not spiraling around you and what you are getting or aren't getting or how bad you are or how good you are. Growth becomes, growth becomes me not worrying or wondering if I'm getting better. I'm just trusting in Jesus. I'm just surrendering my life and, and living through the, the death of myself. And I'm not worried. I'm, and, that, and, that, and that seed, you know, that seed of growth, you don't, you don't keep checking it to find out if I'm getting better or not. doesn't matter if you're getting better. Are you denying yourself? Are you living, trusting in what he's accomplished for you, not what you accomplished for you? And then just day by day, death to self, surrender to him, until you begin to see the beauty of what he's doing in you and in this world. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you've come to free us from the, from the enslavement we have, enslavement to ourselves, self-absorption, self-reliance. That as we die to that, it, we become powerful for your work in this world. Even as you, even as you at the cross denied yourself, surrendered everything about you, did not think equality was God, with God was something to be grasped, was not even possible for you. God himself to bear the cost, to take the road of suffering. And that you empower us by your spirit to be little Christs in this world. To change it, to save it, to transform it, even as you're doing our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.